0: The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at bethlehem.church slash youngadults. Moral formation. This is the third week that, third month, third week in the month, third, second week of the month, or whatever, that you guys have been focusing on this topic, moral formation. And if you want to catch up because you're hearing part three and you're like, wait a second, you can go on to the Young Adult Podcast, Spotify and Apple, and catch up. Thank you to our helpers who do that. But just a quick recap. Uh, This is the word from Daniel. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, you gather together. Being reconciled to God through the cross is the starting point of moral formation. You can't be morally formed without being united to Christ. We'll see that in this text I'm looking at. Then, the next month, which also happens to be the 14th, because they have the same number of days in the month, it works really well that way. March 14th was about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need that so desperately these days. We need God's word to shape our thinking. And... This was a quote from Daniel. You are either being renewed day by day by the spirit, or you are being progressively darkened and futile in your thinking and understanding. We wanna avoid the latter and pursue the former. This is done by being reading God's word and being surrounded by God's people. So that's where we've been. And what we're gonna do is trusting in God and being saved, growing by looking at the word and being with God's people, We're gonna talk about uh, moral formation going out. What does it look like to live in a world where we are seeking to serve other people spiritually? So we're gonna be in the book of Colossians at the very end, but stay at the beginning because we have to get a running start to get there because our passage is sort of a wrap up at the end. And if we just jump in, we'll miss some important things. So I want you to think for just a second with me about two things just to get your brain going in this direction so that you can start thinking about how does this apply to my life? Question number one, what aspect of engaging with ideas in our culture is most challenging to you right now? What aspect of engaging with ideas in our culture is most challenging to you? Maybe you have a friend and you're dealing with a specific issue, maybe you're personally wrestling with an issue, a family member, I don't know, but ask that question. The second question is this. What specific lost people has the Lord most put on your heart? Maybe you're surrounded by several roommates, workmates, other people, family members, and yet, amongst those lost people, there's one that you really have a heart for. Who is that? Who is that? Let's ask God for help with those things and again, one more time, looking at his word. Father, would you build your kingdom through your people, through your word? Thank you. It's our human Thank you for the ways that the song fit with where we're going in, in the word. We want to build our lives on your love and that you'd fill us and that we would love others around us. Would you give us grace to be rooted and to be serving and engaging with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's the deal. I'm just going to admit right up front, this is going to be a fire hose, okay? But you have to wait and dry off for a whole month before you come back, so just buckle up. (laughs) But my disclaimer is this. Um, For some of you that are like, wait a second, he is putting me in book jail, because he's mentioned five books, and he... And I'm supposed to do these seven things. I really want you to to seek God's help to come up with one thing, one area. This text is like a wrap-up of a book, Colossians. And so what is one thing that God wants you to focus on? And maybe what's one step you can move forward in that area? Okay? Otherwise, you're going to be blasted. Have any of you tried to drink out of a fire hose? Good. I'm glad you haven't. Uh, Here it comes. Here it comes. All right? Colossians 4, 2-6, through 6, but if you're in verse 1, don't worry, don't flip there. Flip back to 1-1. Because this is a concluding message, we need to kind of get a running start. So you need to understand the book of Colossians. By the way, a little supplemental message. I think this is the book that you guys are going to hang out in this summer. So hopefully this is like an appetizer uh, and, and you get excited that this is a fairly relevant book. All right? So it starts this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers, that includes sisters too, the faithful family in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Several times throughout this slideshow, you're gonna see a red slide, and it's sort of a summary statement. And coming out of this text, similar to how your series on moral formation started, you must be in Christ to be reaching out and building Christ's kingdom. You must be in Christ to serve others spiritually. Being in Christ is one of the most beautiful realities that exists. It means that the God of the universe came to earth, died for your sins, you trust him, and you are united to him. Baptism is the picture of it. We're gonna see some of those Easter Sunday in each service, but it's this picture of intimate connection with Christ so that our sin goes upon him and he paid for it and it's finished. And his righteousness is credited to us. Forever the father rejoices over us just as, it, as he did over the, over the son. This is my beloved son or daughter, if you're a daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. That's the starting place, which we just sang about, for reaching out. If we're fast-forwarding a little bit to try to understand what's going on in Colossae that Paul would spend his time to write a letter he didn't even he hasn't even hung out with these people. He knows a fellow worker who came and reported to them. And if you flip a few verses to 23, it says this. This gets at the heart of what's going on in this church. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Wait a second, they're saints. They're in Christ. Why would they shift from the gospel? Well, they're under attack. And the way that the Bible works is, you warn God's people, and God's people heed warnings. And they're like, whoa, my hope is under attack? I better pay attention. Believe it or not, your hope is under attack. That's what was going on in this church. It's also going on in our world. Your hope is being undermined in many ways. I don't have time to look at all of them in this book. Hopefully we'll look at some of that this summer. Beautiful things there. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Why would I leave the hope of the gospel? Because we wanna do our own thing. We wanna please people. We wanna follow their regulations. We wanna not have people judge us or yell at us and many other reasons. So their hope was under attack primarily. Oh, anybody know from history where this attack happened? Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor. good, yes one of the first attacks on American soil. Um, Different kind of under attack. But in order to reach out, we need to not come from a place of, I'm a Christian, I figured everything out, my life is perfect, world, listen to me. Nobody wants to hear from somebody like that. But if you see the places where you need Jesus, where you see that your home is under attack, you can, from a humble place, and a place of knowledge and a place to be able to say, you know what, I struggle with this too. You can offer hope to other people. A little bit further in the book, and this is kind of right at the center of the crux, 2 6 to 2 8, is kind of where people say this is the main thing. We see a little bit more of the attack. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. There's thinking, there's arguments, there's teachers. There's people who are trying to take them captive. With this is a a worldview, how you should see it. I I know Paul told you this, but you should think this way. And notice empty deceit. That's, yikes, (laughs) that's fighting words. Uh, But it's lies. It's packaged lies. And it's really important for you to notice this well before we get there. My call to you, if you're gonna engage our world, is that you would ask God to help you start seeing the lies around you so that you can identify them, so that you can be on your guard and you can serve other people who are falling into the same lies, who are vulnerable to the same lies. Anybody know what that is? I took out my little... It's a lie detector. It has a fancy name, which I just forgot because I took out that slide. Polygraph. I don't know if they really work or not. You can do your research on that. But anyway um, Notice this text see that no one takes you according to captive by philosophy and empty deceit Notice what it's according to according to human tradition According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So human tradition is like things that people think are good ideas like a few years ago, everybody was all about not using straws. Anybody remember that? They like cut open this fish and it was had a stomach full of straws. And so everybody's like, oh, we can never use straws. If you're a non-straw user, I didn't mean to totally like rain on your parade. But anyway, that was just a thing for a while. And it was like, you almost feel bad like walking up to the counter and saying, do you have any straws? <laughs> but that's an argument, people judge you by it, and it's, silly example, but according to human tradition, somebody made up the straw thing, probably. Maybe it's legit, but regardless. <laughs> according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits, it's even more serious. Elemental spirits means demons. There is a spiritual warfare going on. The demonic forces want to spread their arguments and their lies sugar-coated feeding them to us so that we are taken captive by them and not according to christ hopefully you will camp on that this summer but who is it according to basically it's according to people it's according to people i haven't read this book yet but i've heard uh natasha crane talk a couple times i read one one of her articles and heard her on the podcast fairly recently she's a smart cookie if you can use that term. Anyway, she's a really smart lady. And she defines secular this way. This is not quoted, but her basic idea. We live in a secular world. Truth is judged according to self and personal feelings. Just check that out. Any You see any evidence of that around you? It's the big umbrella. Where would we fit all sorts of different people from different views, and they all think different ways? Oftentimes, it can be boiled down to this. And we're tempted to do it, too. We're tempted to judge truth by ourselves and what we feel. She has a lot of wise things to say about culture, but it's important to know the lies that are pervasive in our culture so that we don't be trapped by them. Well, why would that be a big deal? If you thought that self and personal feelings are the judge of all things, why would that be a problem? Here's two scriptures to help us think about that. Proverbs 14.12 says there is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but in the end, but its end is the way of death. It looks perfectly great. Death. And even more enlightening verse. Similar. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That alone is worth thinking about. But then, look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So if you are following the Disney mantra of following your heart, you're in trouble. That is not a good thing. Watch out. Now let's look at our passage. If you were to look at the paragraph of Colossians 4, two through six, or the section, the little subheadings, and you were to kind of map it out, you'd notice that there's three commands, or there's, yeah, three commands, and they kind of focus on three topics, and we're gonna take them one at a time in the topics. The first one starts, continues to fascinate prayer. So the first one's about prayer. Engaging your world, it or not, begins with prayer. Hmm. Five. Several verses, notice, on prayer more than the other ones, okay, if you're a math person. <laughs> Number five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is walking. And the final thing that we're going to talk about is let your speech always be gracious. So we've got prayer, walking, and speech. All right, let's start in verse two with prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay, there's not gonna be any punches held here. This is straight up, let's pray. Okay? One commentator defines this as be busily engaged in prayer. So we don't want to just well, of course, you're come to church and I'm supposed to pray. No, we're supposed to hold this up as a mirror to our lives and say, Am I busy praying? Which we probably all go, well, many of us go, go Continue steadfastly in prayer, and it doesn't stop there, but another one of these red slides: The most important thing you can do to serve someone spiritually is to pray for them. Do we believe that? Do we believe that talking to the sovereign God of the universe to move in our neighbors and our friends will affect them spiritually? We might need to just say, Lord, help me believe that again, because it's true. Not only that, but being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You're probably going to enter in this Easter week, holy week, some account of the garden, whether it's at Good Friday, whether it's in your own personal readings. Go to the cross. Look at the darkness that our Christ walked into. But one of the things, and I was just thinking about this, there were no streetlights in the garden. You know, the movies have like, so you can actually see what's going on. They were probably out in the middle of pitch blackness. I don't know. I'm just, I was thinking about that this morning. And of course the disciples fell asleep. You would too. Except that it was on the ground. Maybe you wouldn't, but they're used to that. They were not being watchful. They were not being alert. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in and with thanksgiving. Alert, not lazy, seeing God at work, thanking him which fills us with faith by the way. I sometimes think of my prayer life, not always, but like the first time I started to drive a stick shift car. It was a struggle bus, but it was actually a smaller car. It wasn't a bus, but anyway, it was like, and then you get going and you're like, please don't turn red! Because <laughs> then I'm gonna have to start all over again. But if your prayer life is like mine, we need to ask for mercy. God, stir me up. Give me a prayer list. Teach me how to pray. And here's where we're going to talk about praying, thinking outwards. Notice this is with God's people, probably also for yourself. But it's with and for God's people. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door for the Word. Now just just pray for the apostles that way. Don't pray for yourselves. No, it's got to apply to them too. The apostles are examples going forward. The apostolic man pray also for us that god may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of christ are you praying for that for your easter gatherings or your co-workers or different opportunities that god would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of christ on account of which i am in prison that i may make it clear which is how i ought to speak let's notice a couple things that god may open a door for the word we talked about that to declare the mystery the hidden realities of christ the gospel And then I may make it clear. God, help me make it clear. Help my friend make it clear. Do you have a list somewhere in your possession of the people that God has put on your small group's heart to reach out to? And do you pray for them? Do you know them by name? That could be a great takeaway. Are you praying this way? Are you praying this way for others? If you want to be more diligent in prayer, Remember, I'm not putting you in book jail. You're only picking one, if you pick any. Mm-hmm. This is a great book to think about. How do I organize my prayer life? How do I think about prayer life? What does the scripture say about prayer? It's a good book. Our goal in serving others spiritually is not winning arguments, but faithfully speaking the gospel. Looking for opportunities, looking for doors for the gospel, and faithfully speaking it. Notice faithfully speaking it does not mean making multiple converts. You can look at your driver's license, it probably doesn't say Billy Graham, if you're a guy. (laughs) Definitely, if you're a girl, it doesn't. But anyway, it's faithfully speaking the gospel. Billy Graham probably has more people than any of us that heard him speak the gospel and didn't respond either, but I digress. Notice the absence of results in this verse. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Well, he's declaring it, on account of which I'm in prison, That's not ideal circumstances, but that's what happened. That I may make it clear, and a bunch of people would accept it. No, it doesn't say that. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And if you want more thoughts about that, 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, he's doing all these things, being all sorts of ways to all people, that he may win some. It doesn't say that I may win all. But also notice the focus on speaking. In these five verses, speaking shows up three times. Three different times in these five verses. He's praying to declare it, speaking clearly how he ought to speak. And in 5, 6, we'll talk about speaking in just a second. Okay, prayer. Is God wanting me to pray more? Are there actions that he would have me take in prayer as I seek to engage my world in helping them move towards Christ from my formation, to take the first step to trust him? Verse five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. In the Bible, walking means living, okay? So we just talked about speaking. That's a little bit of a curveball. It came in one way and it uh, scooted a different way. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. If we are not doing what Daniel talked about last time, we're going to have a tough time serving other spiritually because... Our lives must display the gospel, not argue against it. One of the biggest critiques of the church is that we're hypocrites. Well, it's true. We're sinners. We need the Lord. But if we are actively denying the gospel while we're thinking, we're speaking about it, it's going to be like, "Ah!" it's not going to work very well. We must walk in wisdom towards outsiders seeing God's word, having him shape us, and moving out in it. But let's look specifically at what this this book says about it. In verse nine, chapter one, verse nine through 11, he kind of gives us a definition of what it means to walk in wisdom. Notice the words in these verses. Pay very close attention for walking in wisdom, and especially if there are words in yellow. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Okay? Brace yourself, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's so beautiful when in our day and age, people walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Fully pleasing to him. He's praying for this high goal. May we be more pleasing to Christ, bearing fruit in every good work. Like the fruit of the Spirit is like, Falling off of us. You don't even have to shake the tree. Or When we're shaken, it falls off too. Increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Notice, this is not just you and your moral workout program. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Similar to Daniel's thoughts last time, or at least the same subject. Walking wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. If you didn't think the other things were convicting, this one might be. This, in, in this section, Paul's calling us to buy up the time, to use the opportunities, to make the best use of my time. We should definitely rest. This is not uh, the call for burnout, like be a radical Christian and just always do ministry praying every second like fast sleeping too, it's going to be awesome, go for Jesus. No, those things could be good, but they reach the end. This is not talking about that. Making the best use of the time. That means examining how many podcasts you are listening to about trivialities to be replaced by some that would point you to Christ or helping you serve others. How many opportunities you're taking to go away all by yourself, which you might need to to recharge, Two, are you also pressing yourself in to serve other people, engaging with lost people? How are you making the best use of your time? That's between you and the spirit. How does your use of time and relational engagement show that you are seeking first the kingdom of God? Third area, and we're going to spend most of the time talking about this one. Let your speech, talking about our mouths, always be gracious. So, quick question for you individually. Which side of the spectrum do you tend to lean towards? Do you tend to lean towards total truth? I don't mind if I step on toes? Toes? I'm like staying 50 miles away from toes. I don't want to say anything that offends anybody or might even sound like it might offend somebody from another place that I don't even know. Which side do you fall off on? We need to be, by God's grace, in the middle, willing to speak truth, but doing so in a gracious, thoughtful, respectful way. Not seeking to win arguments, because we're gonna talk about speaking and world views and there's arguments and stuff like that in here. Gracious, full of grace. For somebody who'd be listening in, or even the person that you're arguing against, or having an intense discussion and they're like, wow, you're being so respectful. I totally tripped up and you were like, I want to believe the best for you. Did you mean this? And they're like, whoa. You totally had an opportunity to just like slam me. And you didn't. <laughs> I was just listening to something that Bodhi Bakan was talking about that today. Gracious. Seasoned with salt. I was thinking about that today. Is this sort of like some new mom thing like the soap, washing your mouth out with soap or not gracious words didn't work, so now we're going to try salt. <laughs> Is that what that means? No, I don't I think Paul was talking about that. So, in our culture, we talk about being busy as a beaver, or the opposite, lazy as a sloth. In their culture, they talked about salt, and they didn't have, to have anything to do with either of those. It had to do with wisdom. I don't know. That's what they, that's what they talked about. I, I believe the commentators and smart guys who did the studies and being having salty speech means it's seasoned with wisdom. You know how to talk about it. You know God is, is giving you more and more grace to know what to talk about it. Let's talk a little bit about that. Conversation wisdom. To serve others spiritually, trouble with the grammar here, we need to to seek and keep seeking cultural conversation wisdom. Cultural conversation wisdom, here's a few things. Number one, reject the lie that the spiritual conversations or gospel conversations make no difference. And when I use the word gospel conversations, I mean ongoing conversations, not just uh, quick gospel and uh, get out but ongoing conversations that try to hover around the gospel and you're looking for open doors to talk about elements of the gospel. Reject the lie that spiritual gospel conversations make no difference. Colossians 1.6 says, In the whole world, the word of truth, the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Here's two stories if you're like, I need to brush up on some faith in that. Beckett Cook was the set designer in Hollywood, has an amazing story of how a conversation, I can't remember if it's high schoolers or a little bit out of high school people, who brought their Bibles to a coffee shop and bowed to pray was like shocking him in Hollywood. He had an extended conversation with them where he gave them a singer at the end of the conversation. What does your church teach about homosexuality? He had been practicing. He'd had five serious relationships with other men. And they said, our church teaches that it's not God's design, that it's sin. If it had been that had been said to him two years earlier, he'd actually read a book that said that. I think it was maybe C.S. Lewis. He threw the book across the room, it hit the wall, and fell into the trash. But at this conversation, the Lord had already been stirring him showing him the emptiness of his life. He went to their church, heard the gospel, and he is on fire for Christ and speaking in him. It's been many years. He went to seminary. He lost his career in Hollywood. I won't give the whole story away. I mostly did, but anyway. <laughs> um, there's a lot more goodness in there. Nabil Qureshi, this was a guy who loved crushing Christians as a Muslim. And a conversation with a buddy, an ongoing conversation on his debate team, where they would spar and wrestle and take each argument that he had against Christianity, and slowly the Lord crushed that argument and set it aside. And I won't give away that story either, but it's an amazing story. He's not with us anymore, but um, he is a neat new man rejoicing in the Lord in heaven. Second, it's wise to do this. When someone thinks, of us, or what someone thinks of us, or how they react, is not determined right from wrong. Only God does. This is perhaps one of the biggest things that we're afraid of as we engage the outside world. What are they going to think of me? What if they react and get all mad and stomp off, or what if they yell and make a scene? Awkward! That does not determine truth. God does. We need to fight for that. And this is the scripture that I love. We talked about this at our family meeting a couple weeks ago. He, that is Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself and all the different things to himself is not in there. He kept entrusting the situation, the accusations, the suffering, all of that to God, to him who judges justly. They turned away from me. They won't talk with me. They yelled at me. They're ganging up on me. They're laughing at me. God, I just want to keep entrusting that to you because you judge justly. And we can do that together. We can turn those things over when we do that together and share that with our people. Three, know the loud voices don't speak for everyone. I struggled with this one today to believe this, um, to not believe this. I was doing some research and I was reading some articles and a thing that I thought was done is now back up in the whole culture sphere and I was like, ugh. But the truth is, the loud voices don't speak for everyone. The person who is uh, out in front promoting these ideas doesn't necessarily speak for the whole crowd. So here's a modern example. You may have heard of um, the Parent Rights in Education Bill Um, It was signed in Florida. The popular term is called, Don't Say Gay Bill. Um, And it is back in the news big time today for a couple different reasons. But the Daily Mail, which I think is a British publication, probably not on the conservative side, but I don't read British newspapers, so I could be wrong. More than 25% of Democrat voters in Florida support the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill bill that bans teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. A new poll shows. There's a lot of anxiety. I'd be happy to talk to you about this bill afterwards or give you an article to understand it. But what is important to say is the news and other things present it like everybody's against this. And this study says 52% of Democrats who normally should support this because most of the people are saying, well, the Republicans are doing all these bad things in Florida. The people at the microphone do not necessarily speak for the room. Just a thought. The reason that's important as we engage with others is we need to serve the person in front of us, not what we think they might be believing. We don't want to put any characterizations of them, caricatures. They're individuals. If we're seeking to serve somebody and they mention something and we jump all over it, and they're like, I don't believe that at all. We've totally shut down the conversation. But if we engage with them and listen and hear what they have to say, we're serving them, we're showing respect, and then we can serve them in exactly the way that they need to be served. Number four, take the long approach, not quick convincing. Ongoing conversations about truth in the gospel. Words expressed and God's word sticks with us. This was true of my conversion, The person that shared the gospel with me when it clicked didn't know for 10, 15 years that their conversation with me had spurred on gospel thoughts and humility and going to God and saying, God, I don't get this. God's word is powerful. (laughs) Take the long approach. Finally, be a student of our culture and Christian worldviews. It's very wise to learn from wise people on how to think and serve others in heated conversations. And what I've learned is, if you dig in and receive biblically-rooted teaching, I'll say this very carefully. As one of your pastors, do not just read every book that claims to be Christians on subjects of culture. These days, many people talk as Christians, and their, their foundation is sociology. We want to learn from people whose foundation is God's Word. So it's important to learn from people whose foundation is God's word. And if we're looking at a specific subject that they're teaching about, they're also teaching us about people, which applies to a lot of different subjects. If you're an email person, you can sign up for World Opinions. Several times a week, they send you three different articles that are very short, would take you about three minutes to read on different issues of our day that can help you understand these things. If you're a podcast person, Maybe you're a really crazy podcast person and you like to listen to Albert Muller on double speed. Try it sometime. Um, anyway, he has a great podcast. The, Alyssa Childers is the podcast that I've probably been listening to most lately. I don't listen to every episode, but a lot of great ones. And I am going to confess my manliness. One of my favorite resources on apologetics is Mama Bear Apologetics. <laughs> it's true, it's great. Hillary Margaret Ferrer is great and I just have to get past all the flushing toilet, flushing toys on the toilet kind of mommy stuff, and get to, she is, it's just, it's sprinkled in there, but it's really solid great stuff. But I digress. Um, I also, I really like books. I brought, and this is kind of funny, I went to the garage and this is called uh, Authentic Seasoning Salt is the name of my bag. And so Salty Wisdom, this is a bag full of just different resources I don't have time to dig them all out, but I would love to talk to you. If there's specific things that you'd like to look into, um, consider diving deep into something. Use some of your time. Get an audiobook and go for a walk and let the Lord bless you that way. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, is the verse that we're talking about. Perhaps the most important practical thing for you to walk away with, regardless of whether this is your thing, you should lean into this. In hard conversations, Listening and asking questions is the best way to serve someone spiritually. Why questions? Questions help both of you understand what you mean by key terms. So here's a key question, and it can come in all sorts of different forms. What do you mean by that? So for example, uh, this is a quote posted online in an online professional forum. The conversation referenced was an interaction from a long-standing LGBTQ plus supporter. Questioning, beginning to question if children 12 years um, and under should be given medical attention and intervention to match their newly declared gender identity. So that the quote is, I would like to express the great sense of violence that I feel for being exposed to this conversation. So professionals are having a conversation about this. One of them is raising doubts and questions, should we go this far? And the person who's fighting back and saying, no, of course we should go that far is saying, I would just like to express the great sense of violence that I feel for being exposed to this conversation. So where would you ask, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by violence that you're being exposed to in this conversation? How is that violent for you? Help me understand that. We use words in different ways, and it's important that we talk about that. Number two, help you understand how to serve them. So for example, you might have seen these lawn signs But just look at these personalized questions. Whatever the issue you're talking about, think about serving somebody this way. In what ways do you think this phrase will help people? You're getting at the heart. Why do you believe this? Or why do you you believe science is real or love is love? What is the heart of the issue for you? Does this affect someone you know? If so, how? Why do you believe kindness is everything? Third, questions help us examine our arguments. People pick up slogans all the time, and they don't, we too, we as people pick up slogans all the time, and we don't always think about it. Have it your way. Have you ever walked into a Burger King and said, I want to have it my way, and then you think, hmm, is that a Christian thought? I don't know, but I just always think that when I walk in this place. <laughs> We pick up slogans all the time. So for example, if you Google, and I spelled it wrong, but thankfully for Google, it knows that healthcare is two words. Abortion is healthcare. These are the first two things that come up. Abortion is healthcare, period. And it goes on to say it. The second one, facts are important. Abortion is healthcare. So let's just say that you picked up that slogan. Have you thought about it? What do you think, what do you mean by that? Abortion is healthcare. How do you define healthcare? I think if healthcare is curing an illness, do you believe abortion is seeking to cure something? Could be a way not to be used snarky, but to really genuinely care. What do you mean by that? Help me understand, how does that work? Finally, helps us lead conversations in spiritually helpful direction. If you are asking the questions, you're in a sense in control of the conversation. You can steer it in helpful directions. And hopefully steer it out of crazy directions that would derail you god uses questions for other spiritual good have you ever noticed that in scripture genesis 3 9 this is just three verses after the fall god shows up in the garden and the first thing he does in his interaction other than going there is to ask a question where are you jesus is like i don't know spirit like I find my friends just like stopped and I need to call out, Adam and Eve, where are you? Help me, can you just like stand up in the wave and say, over here, God? Is that the deal? No. God knows. He knows where they are. He wants them to come to him. He wants them to repent. So he uses questions to lead them there. Or Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What do you mean by good? Because it's absolutely essential what you mean by good when you talk about me, Jesus. I want to serve you spiritually, so let me ask you a question. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. That is probably both hostile and honest questions. One final thing, and this is condensed. Um, Asking gospel worldview-focused questions helps us serve others spiritually. Here's what I mean by that. This is based on an idea. What is Satan's marketing strategy? Does he walk around and say, hey, come over here and drink poison with me? (laughs) Or does he put poison in steak and say, The grill is going, it's been Minnesota, you haven't lit that thing for how many months? Come on, let's dive in, these poker houses are good. So the idea behind this is, in every lie is some aspect of truth that's been taken from God and repackaged. And if we think about things and talk about things and listen to people, We can look for what's been twisted from God and what's still good element that remains and seek to serve them spiritually. This is an idea from Modi Bakum's book, Expository Apologetics, a few chapters in there. So let's really quickly look at the worldview and then I'll give you one example and we'll pray. There are five key pieces, there's maybe more, but these are the five things that I try to think about in a worldview. They should be the grid through which a Christian looks at the world. Revelation. Everybody's wondering, what is true? What can I base my life upon? People will even say there must be some standard of justice and virtue. There's Most people want to say, yep, Hitler was bad. Why was he bad? Well, there's no God. I don't know. Maybe we should just all collectively vote. We all vote he's bad. Except for this weird guy over here and these weird people over there. Okay, that doesn't work. What do we do? Revelation. God has given us this truth. Second, creation. Within creation, it's not just a big ministry by Mr. Ham and Ark Encounter, all that kind of stuff. Creation is huge. It gives the value of life. It gives purpose in life. Many, many things are tied up in creation. The fall. I think most people will look at Ukraine and say, what is wrong with our world? Why does a dictator get to march into a country and all these millions of people are fleeing? What is wrong with our world? Why do we do that? Two more, salvation. How can things be made right again? Worldviews will be like, you gotta work harder. You gotta do this. And finally, consummation, that's the fancy word, which may or may not be spelled correctly, but anyway. Um, where is all this going? Is this life all there is? If if not, what's next? Those are big questions that people are asking and that we should have answers for. So let's just take one real-life example. This is from a few years ago. Martina Navratilova was one of the best women's tennis players of all time back in the, I don't exactly know, you can look it up on Google, it's 80s, 90s. She was great. She was a lesbian. She used promoting feminist agendas, but in recent years, I think it was 2017, she said this and some other things. This was before several people were saying these things. She was catching the drift before it was happening. You can't just proclaim yourself a female and be able to compete against women. There must be some standards. Those were her very words. Not necessarily in that picture, but her very words. How does this connect to a gospel worldview? If you were having a conversation with her, you could talk about and, and I've heard other people say, in our day and age there's tons of moral outrage from people that don't believe in absolute truth. You could have a conversation with her because she this was obvious, this was written based on what she says, but there must be some standard of justice and virtue. There's a passion inside of people when they're really pushed to believe that. That connects to a God who has given us true standards. If it's up to us, we're in trouble. We won't agree. What happens when my view is this way and your view is that way and our worlds clash? That's what's happening to her. She was pushing an agenda so far and then the agenda changed and moved out of the bounds that she thought was good. Inside our hearts, for most, there's a desire for standards of justice and virtue, and that can be a bridge to the gospel. That was a fire hose. Um, I'd love for you to just think, wow. What would God have me do from his word to pray, to walk, to take steps to understand and engage with my world? How can I walk? How can I speak? How can I pray in a way that would love those outside of Christ, those who have yet to be brought into Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it helps us and challenges us. Would you stir up kingdom-building things in our hearts Would you help us to take small steps in these ways? Would you give us grace to engage with one another? Would you help us even yet tonight? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus, in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way. Without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church, for more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church/ young adults.